leaders provide four things. They provide direction, they build trust, they provide hope, but you gotta provide results too, right? So direction, trust, hope, and results are what leaders do, but in order to do it well, you have to care. Hello, and welcome to the Dactronics Experience Podcast. Today, we're coming at you with a special edition of the podcast, the audio from our recent Women in Sports online event. Our first keynote speaker was Desiree Reed Francois, Athletic Director at Mizzou. Listen in to hear her experiences and insights for women in the sports industry. I've had the privilege of serving with Sarah on many, many women's committees, um, and she is a big advocate and um, helps women to grow and thrive in there. Too. And it, this was really kind of her brainchild. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask you, Sarah, how did, how did we get here? <laughs> oh, thank you. Yeah. So <clears throat> I had been thinking about a way that we could bring women in sports, particularly together. I start when I started in women in sports, it, I would go to conferences and I was one of the only women there. Maybe there were a handful of other women and and it was it was uncommon to see women in sports. And as I thought about what could Dactronics do? We have this wealth of women who are using and operating our equipment, who are involved in the sport industry. How could we bring them together to learn from one another, not only from our professional sports or our college sports, but from high school on up? I want high schoolers to get excited about careers in sports. And so I thought, what a nice way to be able to bring people together and share stories from successful women within the industry. And that's really where we started this. So I'm excited to have all of you here and want to welcome you. All right. Great. Thank you. And and I'm very excited as well. And um, our keynote speaker today, um, I told her I'm, I'm a fan bordering on soccer. So I'm so happy to, to have her here. And of course, I mean, Desiree Reed Francois. I knew I was going to mess it up, but um, she is the director of athletics at the University of Missouri. And with an unbelievable background, just to give you a little bit of the highlights, in 2021, Desiree was named the Director of Athletics at the University of Missouri, making her the first female athletic director in the school's history, which go, I love it, um, but it doesn't stop there. She's also the first female athletic director in public institution in the SEC and was the first Hispanic female and women of color athletics director in the football bowl subdivision. Um, in addition to 25 years of college athletics, she also spent time with the Oakland Raiders and was a big part of their move to L.A., as I understand it, which is which is fantastic. So, Desiree, we are so happy to have you here to share some knowledge with us, um, hopefully take some questions and answers, questions and answer some questions from the crowd and um, really just kind of impart the wisdom. So um, with that, I'm going to let you take it over from here for, for a bit. How's that? <laughs> Certainly. Well, thank you very much uh, for the opportunity to be with all of you. Um, I truly hope that you can walk away with a nugget or two. And while I certainly don't have all the answers, I thought I would share some experiences um, and then also just provide a little bit of a framework uh, that may be of interest. So, it, you know, when I was thinking about what I wanted to share with all of you, um, I, like I said, I certainly don't have all the answers, but what I do have um, are just some some experiences that may be helpful. And I started thinking about purpose. Um, anytime, any position of leadership, it's going to be challenging. It's going to be sometimes very lonely, 
but purpose is really what drives us. And so I thought I would start out by just sharing a brief story in terms of my purpose. Um, and then also, then I thought I would give a little bit of a framework and uh, to talk about kind of the go forward. So very briefly, I um, was a walk-on rower at UCLA because I wasn't talented enough to run track. And it's a proven fact. Uh, and then I went to, um, born and raised in the San Francisco Bay Area. And after going to UCLA, I knew I wanted to be a lawyer. And I grew up in the 80s in San Francisco. And so it's almost a birthright that I'm a huge San Francisco 49ers fan. So and this is Joe Montana, Bill Walsh, that era. Uh, and so I wanted to be the first female GM in the NFL. And I love football. And that's what that was my career aspiration. So after graduating UCLA, I went to the University of Arizona Law College of Law, had an incredible experience there. And but I have a younger brother and this goes into purpose. Um, my first year in law school, uh, my brother played football at Chabot Junior College. And on September 10th of 1994, uh, my brother was going for the record of the most tackles in the state of California. Um, and on September 10th, that evening, he made a tackle. He wrapped up his running back, was on the ground, and someone just tripped and fell and snapped his neck. And Roman became a quadriplegic. Now, it was our faith, it was our family, and it was football um, that really allowed our family to persevere. Or not allowed, but really helped our family persevere. It was an incredibly challenging time. And that Roman story is really what prompted me to want to do what I do. Um, I wanted to provide for my student athletes the experience that I had, but my brother never did. And you know, my career was almost an accident, if you will. And if you take nothing else out of this conversation, sometimes go out on the limb, take a chance, because you never know um, where the gold will be. And it all started, quite frankly, with a pink building. Um, Roman had a push chair. He was going to, after he graduated from Chabot Junior College and did some rehabilitation, um, he enrolled at the University of California, Berkeley. Uh, Roman would go to his classes and I would go with him. I would push him to his class and he didn't have a power chair at the time. And as you know, University of California, Cal Berkeley is very, very hilly. So I was studying for the bar and this is in 1997. And I took Roman to a class and I had a break. And so I was kind of wandering through Cal and I see this salmon color pink building on Fulton Avenue and it was the athletic department. And so I just wandered in and I saw a man by the name of Dan Coonan. And I told him, I said, you know, I'm gonna be, I have some time before I have to report to my law firm. I was wondering if you need any help. And he said, well, what can I, what can you do? Can you do an EADA report? And I was like, well, I graduated law school. Of course, I, absolutely, I can do an EADA report. Well, I didn't know what an EADA report was, but I thought, well, I'll figure it out and I'll ask a lot of questions. And so that really became, that began my career um, in college athletics. I never thought of college athletics as a potential career. Um, it just, I fell in love with the enterprise and I fell in love with what college athletics can do for people. And so there are times, college athletics can be challenging, um, but leadership is challenging. And one thing I know is that we need talented leaders in this incredible industry because what we do impacts the lives of 18 to 22 year olds. 
And it's our job to be able to provide them the absolute best experience we possibly can. So we need values-driven leaders. We need purpose-driven leaders. And I would encourage you to stop and think about what is your purpose? And so that began my career journey, just walking into a pink building, offering to do an EADA report at the University of California. So I uh, absolutely love this career journey. Purpose, critically important. Knowing why you do what you do, that sustains you. That's what's important for us. So as I, as I think about um, kind of the go forward, if you will, as I was thinking about the framework, uh, I was thinking about a quick acronym, and that's LEAD. And we can explore that further, but I want to make sure I'm responsive to your um, to your questions, Diane. So uh, you look like you're ready to pause and jump in. No, I was going to let you continue on. I was jotting down a couple of questions as I as I went. But what what in your mind makes a great leader? What what what's the what's the one characteristic of of great leadership? People caring about people, and I learned that lesson early on um, from Coach Summit. Coach Summit taught me, um, and I. In a very, in a very kind way, but she taught me until until we know you care, we're not going to follow you. So you have to care about your people. That's the first thing you have to see them. And so leaders, you got to start caring. You got to care about your people. You have to know the way. Leaders provide four things: they provide direction, they build trust, they provide hope, but you got to pre- provide results too. Right. So direction, trust, hope and results are what leaders do. But in order to do it well, you have to care. I absolutely love that. And I just wrote that down and I hope everybody out there is writing it down as well. So um, that was my question for now. If you want to continue on and and I'll pop in as it comes up. But thank you for that. Certainly. Um, So I was thinking about if I was sitting and I was listening to this conversation, what would I want to know about? And I, I like theory, but I also like practical. So I, I thought of a, an acronym, and I, I, hopefully it's in, it may provide a few thoughts, um, but it's LEAD. And the L stands for listen, learn, and love. The fact that you're on this call and you're spending some time today, 45 minutes to an hour, tells me that you have a hunger to learn. So my hope is that you continue that. I, uh, as I was preparing, I was thinking about some, I'm a big reader, and I think it's so incredibly important that you constantly read. Um, these are a couple of books that I brought with me on my trip. Think Like a CEO, uh, and this is a great one, You've Been Chosen by St. Marshall, and then I also have Chop Wood, Carry Water. I am constantly reading, and at, because I certainly don't have all the answers, none of us do, so we might as well learn from some experts. So um, listen, learn, and love. This is a passion business, and I got that from Sint Marshall, um, the love part specifically. If you love what you do, it doesn't feel like work, and that can sustain you. Now, for each of these, so LEAD, L-E-A-D is an acronym, but for each one, I thought I would put kind of a, a practical insight that I would do. Um, and so listen, learn, and love. When you're taking on a new role, you have to listen. You have to do it. You have to analyze what's going on. So my practical tip would be to make sure that you're looking, thinking about SWOT. And if you're starting a new role, think about a SWOT analysis, but take that SWOT analysis one step further. Think about what you would want to what you would want the organization to stop doing, to start doing, to continue. 
and go and meet people where they are. It's important. Leaders, we always say that we're going to talk with every single staff member. If you say you're going to do that, make sure you do that. And you got to do it within the first year. So that would be my practical. Um, the E, now I copied this. And again, there's no um, pride of ownership. But E stands for EGB. And candidly, I copied it from my head basketball coach. I really like, this is from Dennis Gates. And he calls it energy generating behavior. EGB. And as I thought about that, I thought that does not just apply to a basketball team. That applies to every kind of organization. All CEOs, your staff's energy is a reflection on you. We have the privilege of leadership. We don't have the privilege of being pouty. So as leaders, just remember the energy that you give is the energy you receive and it has this ripple effect. So you might as well give positive energy to the organization. So the E is EGB. The A is for act. You know, we are never gonna have the perfect information. We are never gonna have 100% of the facts and data before we make a decision. Sometimes you have to rely on the fact that you're gonna have imperfect information, you're gonna have to act, and then you have to have the flexibility and the confidence to be able to adjust if you need to. So A is act and adjust. And then the D, determination. But that goes back to your purpose. Like I said, these are hard jobs. We need talented people like the people on this call. And there is so much incredible beauty that goes into college athletics. So let's embrace it that it's going to be difficult. But also know, so this is my practical piece, is the D is also for board of directors. Have people that are going to be mentors to you. And be really, really relentless about getting not only mentors, but advocates, because we all don't know how to do everything. So we might as well tap into the collective wisdom of people around us, because sometimes if you ask, actually, every time you ask, people are going to give back. That is so amazing. You've just touched on a topic that was one of my biggest um, questions for you, and that is advocating, both advocating for others who might be below you, I don't want to say below you or above you, but in the ranks, right? So advocating for the people who work for you, what, what, what's your approach to that? And, and, and how do you advocate for, say, say a member of your staff? Um, everybody's unique. And so individualized plans and, and meeting people, not everyone wants to be an athletic director. We have a really talented woman on our staff. Um, her name is Rachel Blunt, and she is going to be a great athletic director. Um, I want to make sure that she is in positions not only to do just her core functions um, and do them exceptionally well, but I want to make sure that we're advancing her. So whether that's sending her to Women Leaders Executive Institute or sending her, um, making sure that she's involved with a baseball search and leading that and leading that search, making sure that she has special high profile projects. I think that's really important. Also, it's not just your staff. There are so um, I'm going to backtrack just a little bit in terms of um, being a little bit different than the norm. And what I mean by that is as, there's not that many women that do what we do. I think there's six. Um, so at roughly 8% of A5 um, autonomy, five athletic directors are women. I think roughly 10.6 or 10.3% of fortune 500 CEOs are women. Um, 
So by virtue of not being the majority, you're going to stand out a little bit. You're going to be a little bit different. My, when I used to be asked at UNLV, what's it like to be a female athletic director? I used to kind of get annoyed uh, because leadership is leadership. Uh, and I would say something kind of flip it. And I would say, well, I don't know how to be a man. So how about I just be a leader? And then I got to the University of Missouri. I spoke to our soccer team. And there was one young lady, and I had been there maybe 48 hours. Um, there was one young lady that not because of who I am as a person, but what I represented, she was, uh, she was emotional when she saw me. And it really touched my heart. And I thought, you know what, Desiree, you need to be much more intentional about um, what you represent and the context that you provide. And, and what I mean by context is just as Sonia Sotomayor talked about the importance of painting a picture of what people can be. And so now I think about that a little more thoughtfully and a little more methodically. And I think it's all of our responsibilities, not only to paint that picture, but actively bring others along with you. Whether I have a really special niece and you know, I want her to achieve all of her hopes and dreams. And she's going to be a freshman um, at my former high school, Mission San Jose. And so I've been encouraging her to join the cross-country team. And it doesn't matter if it's a 14-year-old young lady or if it's the next group of athletic directors. We have a responsibility to do great work because our student-athletes deserve that, but also to bring others along with us. So now, when I'm asked, what's it like to be a female AD in the SEC, I'm a little more thoughtful. And I'll say something along the lines because I mean it. My hope is that when Catherine, my niece, is a, is a CEO, that she is not going to be asked, what is it like to be a female CEO? Because it will become the norm. That's awesome. And to follow up on that, we've got a question from the audience, and that is, what's the best way to, to begin a mentorship or 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 work on a relationship like you're talking about where somebody mentors you and guides you? And, and how do you figure out well, this is a good fit for me. Um, ask and be grateful, but also be very mindful of people's time. Debbie Yao has been a mentor of mine, and Jeremy Foley has been a mentor of mine. Jeremy Foley is the former athletic director at the University of Florida, and Debbie Yao, former athletic director at the University of Maryland and NC State. And I remember seeing Debbie Yao um, and I was very pregnant with my son, Jackson. So this was, he's 19, so I guess it was 20 years ago. And said Dempsey, uh, I happened to have breakfast with him. And he asked me, what do you want to do? And I said, well, I'd like to be, uh, I guess, the F an SWA. And he said, well, why not athletic director? I had never thought of being the athletic director. And I said, well, can we do that? Can women do that? And he laughed and he said, yes, absolutely. He's like, you should think about it. And he said, do you know Debbie Yao and Barbara Hedges? And I, I didn't. And so then I, I started watching their careers and they both painted a picture for me of something that I never knew I could do. Um, and so when I went to the ACC at uh, Virginia Tech, I remember I saw Debbie sitting and having coffee and she was writing notes and I thought, gosh, I wonder if I should go up to her. Why do I want to bother her? And Debbie is this, she's got this amazing presence about her. Like she is tough and no nonsense. 
And what she did at NC State, she took them from 87 in the Directors' Club Cup to top 15. And I thought, gosh, I admire her so much. I don't want to bother her. But I was like, no, just go. And so I walked by and then I then I like just did a pause. I'm like, ooh, just do it. Just do it. And so I went and I, I said, may I join you for a moment? And she looked at me and she said, yes. And I thought, oh, gosh, what do I say now? And so it, it began. Um, it was just a random interaction. It was a moment that I seized. And Debbie Yao has been incredible for me. She's almost like this wonderful aunt that I just absolutely love and adore. And I talk to her once a week and sometimes once every couple of weeks, but she has been amazing for me. Um, and I, I owe so much to Debbie Yao. And she's not only a mentor to me, but she's been an advocate when I didn't even know she was being an advocate. So because of Debbie, it's, and my mother was my first mentor, of course, but because of the incredible people that have impacted my life, I know it's my responsibility. It's our, all of our responsibilities to, to do the same. So I guess I would say three things. One, identify, identify who you, whose careers you think are important and mentors come in difference. They, they can vary throughout your career, it, um, but identify someone ask and then say thank you thank you and be respectful of their time recognize how many things that um, exec CEOs have coming at them and there there's something so powerful about a handwritten thank you note that's sorry that you couldn't get to my button quick enough that's awesome thank you so much and and another follow-up for it what do you look for in those people that you're mentoring because I am confident that there are a ton of people who who you have created a pathway for and you have shown them the way to that success but then you know when when you're bringing somebody along and you're advocating you just talked about Rachel who is awesome in on, on your, in your group I'm assuming she's on your staff I don't want to make that assumption but but what can people do to, to stand out in your mind? Um, humility. I look for people that uh, have the humility and the desire. I look for people who are values-based and people who are very hardworking. People who are doing it for the right reasons. Um, people who genuinely care about the student-athlete. But I... I value um, I value hard work. I, I want to shift for a second to um, the E and the energy and how to bring that energy to the workplace because that's something that I pride myself on. That I when I show up, I show up every single day, and really that's kind of what it comes down to: is showing up. How do you maintain that energy? How do you keep it going and 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 feed off your staff? I take a lot of pride of it. It fills my bucket to see people do things that they never thought possible. I love that. And but everybody's bucket is filled a little differently. I know that if I am going to have kind of a hard day where just some meetings I don't really feel like doing, but I know I have to do, what I try and do is I try and end the day with a meeting with a student athlete. I take a lot of energy or it gives me a lot of energy to talk with my student athletes and hear their hopes and dreams. Um, so I'm really intentional about how I schedule my day. Sometimes I fall short, um, I do a lot. And, but I find that to be pretty impactful. I also do uh, once a month, I meet with, we call them party of five lunches. And I, I meet with five student athletes, our academic advisors, they select the student athletes. Um, I just like it to be a broad cross section. 
And that has been wonderful. We just have lunch and I get to know our students. What I ask them, what if they were athletic director for a day, what would they do? Um, I ask them about their career trajectories and what's important to them and then how we can overall improve their experience. And it's in an informal setting, but it is it, I take so much away. We make changes because of these, uh, these conversations. So I do that with um, our student athletes. And then we also do that with our staff. Um, because sometimes you go so fast and you're working on your to-do lists that you want to make sure that you, under, you know the people that you have the privilege of serving with. So um, that's, those are two things that, that I like to do. And then personally, I recharge, I run, um, I read, I read a lot. I usually am listening to one book and then I, I'm reading one book at night. I try and be very diligent about at least 15 minutes a day of reading. And then recently um, someone gave me this tip and I really like it and I've been trying to do it. Now I modified it because they said, um, we can, I'm interested in the brain and our neural pathways. And this is, I'm totally nerding out here, but they said that, you know, if you want to, we take in so many negative pieces of information that it, it, why not flip that narrative and take in positive pieces of information? So I try and end my day with writing down five positive things that I did well, and then two things that I want to improve. It puts a bow at the end of the day because otherwise, when I go to sleep, I'm thinking and I'm grinding on everything that I didn't do well. And it's not super healthy. So at least for me. So the person that gave me this tip suggested 15 things and two things that you don't do well. And I love that idea, but I just can't get 15 things done. So <laughs> I modified it for me and I do five and one to two. I, I think that is really, really solid advice. And and I think if everybody tried to do that every day for their life, they would have a lot more energy. But on the flip side of that, what advice would you give to somebody who maybe wasn't fortunate enough to work under a leader who brings that energy, who shows up every day, who has that, and maybe they're dealing with a little poor work culture? How can how can they turn things around from say, you know, that perspective where the where their leader is not as energetic as as you might be? And I would love to paint a picture that I am always Miss Positivity and Energizer Bunny. Um, I am not. I fall short an awful lot. So I don't want to um, create a, this false impression that like I have so many opportunities for growth. But that's what I try and bring. Um, it, but I, I think what your question is, is about value alignment and working with people that have values that are consistent with yours. I think that's critically important as who you work with and for matters more than your job title. It matters more than your pay. It matters more than the name brand, if you will. So I would encourage people to, when you're looking at your opportunities, look for a leader and an organization whose values align with yours. However, before you do that, you gotta make sure and be intentional about identifying those core values. What is it that brings you joy. So that's another way, way of saying, what's your purpose? I talked about my student athletes being my purpose. And I talked about, or our student athletes. I also spoke about, I love doing something that people don't think is possible. And then we show them with grace and humility and a little bit of humor. That's what I take a lot of energy and pride in. 
but what brings you joy? And then what do you value? Because as you're looking for those opportunities, um, it, it, you're going to be really frustrated if you're in an organization whose values don't align. align. Now, you're going to do great work because you want people to celebrate, um, to celebrate not that you're leaving, but to miss you when you're gone, right? Um, and you're going to learn things from them, from organizations, even if the organization value alignment isn't where it needs to be. But when you're looking at opportunities, I can't stress enough the importance of value alignment. And I love how you say that, that kind of leads right into that board of directors, right? So surround yourself. I've always, I always tell my kids, surround yourself with people who are going to lift you up, not bring you down, right? So that's so, so important, I think, as a takeaway as well. Yes. Um, and like, didn't our, all of our mothers probably told us, like, you're the sum of the five people you spend the most time with. So you might as well surround yourself with like great people who are going to energize you, who are going to lift you who genuinely want to see you do, you exceed um, like and achieve your dreams. That is so, so important. Although I will tell you, I think one of the people, my five people has become my dog. I don't know how it <laughs> happened, but it just, it just happened. He's, he's with me all the time. So um, I want to, I want to pivot just a little bit and talk about self-confidence and self-assurance and, and helping people to understand in your career. And I think I've read everything. You've had to make a lot of decisions, big decisions about building football stadiums and opening practice facilities and making huge deals. Have you ever gone into any of these situations doubting yourself or, or and let me reword that. How do you find the confidence to make the decisions to know that you're making the right decisions in those cases? Oh, goodness. Um, we all have self-doubts. Uh, and I, that's okay. That mean, just means you care. But you're going to take um, scar tissue is my simple answer. The more that you um, put yourself out there, the more decisions that you make, you're, you know that you're going to upset people. And like when I talked about leadership being lonely, you're going to make hard decisions, whether it's transitioning a coach whether it's hiring someone um, that maybe is not going to win the press conference, it, those you're going to make the most. Um, I think the most challenging decisions are the ones that impact people. And what I do is I I go back and I look at I have pictures on my wall, and each picture represents our core values, and I use that as a daily checklist. And I look and I'm like, all right, am I making this decision based upon is this excellent? Is this based upon integrity. And I go through and I use that as a checklist. And if I can answer that, yes, this decision meets those those core values, then usually it's going to be the right one. Um, I also am big on second order consequences and thinking about, OK, if this decision, if I make this decision, let's play this one out because we want to make decisions for the long game, not the short term game. And so thinking about, all right, this decision will impact how. Let me think about this from a legal framework. Let me think about this from a financial framework. Let me think about how does this impact my students? How does this impact the university's reputation? From a, I mentioned financial, from a public relations framework. And so having a decision for your frame, or decision framework for those decisions, I think is critically important. But again, it goes back to those core values and using those core values as a checklist um, is essential. I, I love what you just said, and and 
as you were saying, it, it took me back to the word love in your in your L, um, because sometimes you're not always delivering the best information, right? As you're making, you mentioned transitioning a coach and, and, um, but I've always learned that if you lead with love in anything that you say, chances are that, that, that the news is going to be taken better by the person. Is, is that, is, is this in line with what you had in, in mind for the L with listen, learn and love? Absolutely. Um, but the love is, uh, and I know it sounds a little soft, but you have to love what you do and you have to, if you, if people know that you care, um, you're going to get a lot more grace because we are all, and we are all imperfect and we are all going to make, sometimes we're going to make some stupid decisions. Uh, but I find that people will give you a little more grace if they know that you care. If you know that, if they know you're making decisions based upon your values, um, they'll give you a little more grace. So I think that's the most important piece. It's awesome. Love what you do, love the purpose, and you got to love the people. That's great. That's great. I want to um, switch to a, a question we got from the audience. Um, when you switched careers, how did you know it was the right time? Uh, when I sw- switched like a job? When you when you moved on, when you switched jobs, not necessarily careers, but but when you when you switched job, when you moved on um, or took on a new challenge. And I know that that there have been challenges in your career or, or um, things that you've taken on, maybe even outside of your traditional career role job. Um, but but how did you know when it was time to move on and take on something new? Sure. I want to go back to the deci- um, to the decisions to remember okay. Uh, one of our core values at, at the University of Missouri is bravery. Making decisions is hard. And you got you to gotta accept the courage piece. Because leaders, you got to have a little courage. Because you're going to make those decisions. And sometimes you're going to, all these people are going to be pushing you to make this decision that one way or the other. You're going to make the decision. And then you're going to look behind you and you're going to be like, there's no one behind me. It is just you. So you have to have courage of your conviction. And once you make that decision, you're all in. Um, yeah. So courage and bravery, that's, um, but that's the essential part. So let's go. Um, your question so, is on. About, yeah, go ahead. Bef- well, before before we do that, I'm going to, I'm going to, st- I promise I'll get to the, I'll get to the other question, but I want to elaborate on that a little bit. Was there ever a decision that you made that you just said, oh, not the right move? Oh gosh. <laughs> I make a lot of decisions. I'm not them almost every day. Like why? Not that I you want to talk about. <laughs> oh gosh. No, part of me was like, why didn't I look for the little hanging tag to put on there? I thought I pushed the privacy please button, but I was like, why didn't I put a note on the door? Um, but you know, <laughs> I make a lot of decisions that I'm like, Ooh, Desiree, that, um, the ones that will stick with you are the ones that are, uh, that involve people. Uh, and maybe, um, Maybe you either promoted someone too fast or maybe you didn't uh, maybe you didn't stop and pause and say, hey, you did a really good job on that and celebrate the win. Uh, And you just went on to the next thing and you didn't realize like how important that was to this person. And then I um, sometimes when I go too fast, then I am not as empathetic as I empathic as I need to be. And that always bothers me. Like, Desiree, did you stop and pause and think about how that was impacting um, all the people around you? Did you did you really think about every single person? So I uh, that's where I may, where I have my biggest regrets are always about people. And if I've given people enough um, 
enough training, enough opportunity, or if I've waited too long on making maybe making a decision on if this person wasn't in the right role and how can I move, adjust their, their, their responsibilities to be in a different role. So those are probably my biggest regrets are on the people part. I will oh. tell you, to, to me, that is the epitome of what makes you a great leader. That that to me, you've just like, so, that is why you are a great leader. That's what makes a great leader, in, in my opinion. So. Well, I, <laughs> Anyways, what are you going to say? Thank you for the kind words. And we are trying to get better every single day. Um, okay, uh, career question. Like, when do I know... I have a little bit of a framework that I use for when I'm thinking about different opportunities, or especially as I was coming um, up. And it, it really is two questions. Am I still learning? Am I still making an impact? Um, it, it took me a while to find, to figure out those two questions, but that's what I do when different opportunities have come my way, or if I thought about different opportunities, that's... Um, that's something that that I think about. Are you making an impact? Are you still learning? Like I said, I'm a teacher at heart. I come from a long line of t teachers. My dad was an eighth grade English teacher. Um, and am I, yeah, so I, I just think that that's really important, that learning piece. Um, yeah, are you, are you learning in your current responsibilities? And if you are and you're still making an impact, then maybe the grass isn't always greener. <laughs> that's right, that's right. Um, Hey, I'm, I'm going to jump around on you a little bit, but I'm trying to make sure that we get everybody from the chat and everybody who's who's listening right now get their kind of questions up here. So um, the next question is um, when it comes to to athletes and student athletes, um, what are the key factors that you would advise them to make when they're looking at a college or university? Um, similar. So what what I advise student athletes on making? OK, um, Head coaches impact our student-athletes' lives more than anything else. Getting to know the head coach and if and your assistant coaches and making sure that they are going to treat your son or daughter, treat you um, like the son or daughter and the individual and the special, unique, great person that you are as that special, unique, great person, um, that's critically important. When I'm hiring coaches, that's what I look for. In the and I have I have an incredibly deep I'm really data driven I have a very detailed um, hiring matrix on what I look for what we look for and and what we found to be successful, but in the end, it really is that simple. Our student athletes are someone's sons and daughters, and they deserve a championship experience. So that would be my first thing is looking at who the head coach and the assistant coaches are. Um, look at that track record. Look at that institution and remember that that degree is going to hang on your wall for the rest of your life. So make sure that when you're making that decision um, that you're thinking about that degree and you're thinking about um, what you want to do. How are you going to impact the world? We talk about the 50 at the University of Missouri and the ball is going to stop bouncing at some point. And if you take let's take football. If you look at the average tenure, if a student athlete graduates, we'll just take easy math, 22. And the average NFL career is say 4.3 years. So that takes you to 22.4, If you, the average life expectancy is 76.6 years. So that's 50 years. Those 50 years, how are you going to impact the world? 
And that's part of our job as administrators, to open up that huge world for these incredibly special young people. So I would think about that if it were my son, um, and I actually happen to have a son who is a student athlete, um, and Jackson is on our men's basketball team. Jackson Francois chose the University of Missouri first. And when we, um, I had an alternate, I had a, I was the athletic director at UNLV. My expectation for my child is that he was going to go to my alma mater and be a walk-on basketball player there. And um, but he had a different choice and he had a different idea. And so Jackson wanted to, my only requirement was that it had to be an academically rigorous institution. And Jackson uh, did some research and he found out that Missouri was an AAU institution. He was living in Las, we were all living in Las Vegas and he wanted to be in a smaller town. He wanted to be in a college town and he wanted to be in the SEC. And he, um, so he contacted Coach Martin and we went out on a visit on June 7th of 2021. And after 36 hours uh, in Columbia, my son fell in love with the University of Missouri. And even though it was remarkably hard to get to from Las Vegas to Columbia, and he is my only child, um, you know, my husband and I were like, if this is where your heart is, even though inside my heart was my mother's heart was breaking, um, Jackson chose Mizzou. Uh, and then two months later, they called me about competing and being their athletic director. Yeah. I was just trying to figure out, do the math of my head. That's an amazing, yeah. that's an amazing story. So in August, uh, um, maybe like July 30, for, uh, somewhere like the end of July, beginning of August, they called and asked if I would compete to be the athletic director. And initially I said no, because I didn't want to, um, I didn't want to not get it and have my son find out because that would impact how much he loved Mizzou. But they called back and said it was real. I was not being used just to check a box. Uh, and I had just signed an extension at UNLV. I had a great opportunity at UNLV with great people. Um, but I decided in the end to go compete for it. And my husband, when I was doing the interview, was in, I was in St. Louis. And my husband, who um, was on a golf trip, and and I said, hey, you have to come home. I have to interview in St. Louis and uh, for Mizzou. And he was like, well, then you have to get that job, because if I'm going to come home from Cabo San Lucas, woman, you better win. And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> so it all worked out. Um, and then when I called my son and uh, and my husband and I said, Jackson, how would you feel if your mother was your athletic director? He paused and he said, Mom, I'm really proud of you. <laughs> and, yeah. And then he said, and mom, I'm not going to enter the transfer portal. <laughs> and so I thought, all right, perfect. Uh, but you just, uh, so I guess I redefine helicopter parenting. So I became the athletic director at my son's school. Oh, my kids are going to go to college next year and I'm going to immediately look for a staff position. <laughs> yes, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> That's a, that is a great story, and thank you for sharing that. It sounds like your entire family fell in love with Mizzou, so that's great, right? We were um, okay. Again, I'm I'm trying to be aware of our time and also get in as many questions as we have as we can get to. So I'm going to pivot a little bit more. Uh, pivot again. I apologize for continuously switching topics on you, but that's okay. Um, 
How, how have you dealt with sexism as you've come up through the business? Did you always have the courage to tackle it head on or what was your turning point in your approach? Yeah, great question. Um, a little sense of humor and a recognition that, you know, sometimes it's just fear. Sometimes people, you're just, if, if you don't necessarily um, fit the norm or the stereotype of what the norm is, uh, and actually, and I also just work a little harder. Um, but that's okay. Uh, I don't really know any, anything else, but sometimes you just have to, um, meet people where they are and you do great work and you bring others along with you. And then you're just going to, um, kind of go back to your core values and go back to why you do what you do. You can't change everybody's minds. You can't change everybody's hearts, but what you can do is you can do great work you can do purpose-driven work, and you can make your organization better. In the end, talent rises to the top. And I, and I will say, I remember one time when I first got to Mizzou, um, you know, you're shaking a lot of hands. And this one sometimes, and I don't know if this is a good example of sexism, but I was just thinking of a story. Um, sometimes people will want to shake my hand and they'll want to like crush it. And by the time you've shaken so many hands, at the end of the day, sometimes your, my hand would even get swollen. And I remember it was a very quiet, uh, I was walking into a, a meeting setting and I was meeting someone for the first time. And he went and he, this gentleman went and shook my hand and he just, it was super quiet and he cracked all of my knuckles and like you could audibly hear it and it hurt so bad and I was just finally at my wit's end and I was like that's funny I'm like did you just hear that and he's like what and I'm like you shook my hand so hard that you cracked every single one of my knuckles I'm like I'm sure you're not one of those guys that like wants to assert his dominance or whatever I'm sure you probably aren't doing that but if you are, that's kind of funny, isn't it? And then I laughed. And then to this day, he has, every time he shakes my hand, he like shakes it in a very appropriate way. He doesn't like go in for the crunch. <laughs> so maybe it was unintentional. I don't know. But I tend to just say it. I, I tend to have a little grace and a little humor. Um, and I, I let my work shine through. Um, but I also want to make sure that we've created an environment at the University of Missouri where we have a very supportive, welcoming, and championship environment. Because championship environments are one where everybody has an important voice and we do great work. That's a great story and great to hear. Um, we are, we're getting close to time. So if you, if you will, we're gonna give you one more question and okay. then we're gonna let you uh, do some finishing thoughts. So if that's okay. So um, the question is from the audience and it's what advice would you have for someone just starting out in their leadership management career after college? Okay, great question. Read a lot, do great work and who you work for with matters more than your job title. Join an organization where you are celebrated, not just tolerated. And again, I can't underscore it enough. Um, reach out to people and create your own personal board of directors, not just your um, mentors, but those people that are going to advocate for you as well. And then don't forget your responsibility to turn around and bring others with you. That is your responsibility for receiving. People are going to pour into you. you Got to ask. 
And then sometimes go be brave and jump in and try something new. Try those stretch projects because that's where the gold is. And also, it's okay. If you fail, we all do. Just pick yourself up, dust yourself off, and go try again. So, and we know that we're rooting for you. That is solid, solid, solid advice. So thank you so much for giving us your time. Anything that maybe I didn't ask that that we missed out on that you feel like, oh my goodness, I should have said this. Anything, anything that comes to mind before we let you go? Oh gosh, I, I don't know, but I um, I thank you for the opportunity. There is so much talent. I'm looking at the my University of Missouri colleagues that are on this. Thank you. Thank you for your amazing work. We are only as strong as the great people that we have around us. So Rachel and Loretta and everyone that's on this call, thank you. You inspire me. Um, We really are in the people business. So um, if I can ever be of service, reach out. Um, And I know that there are so many incredible people that are cheering. And college athletics needs talented leaders. So thank you, Doctronics, um, for hosting this and for inviting me. I'm so pleased um, and so proud and appreciate the opportunity. So thank you. We are so grateful for you. Thank you so much. We'd like you to join us for our next Women in Sports event on Tuesday, October 3rd, where we will host Leslie Slovak, Executive Director of Athletics for Richardson ISD in Texas, as well as the President-Elect for the Texas High School Athletic Directors Association. She will present on her passion for chasing opportunities to serve. We look forward to hearing about her career path and how she has paved the way through the athletics world. We hope you can attend or share this with others who would be interested. 